Good morning. It is so good to be here with all of you. Tommy is talking about how nervous he gets when, um, when people aren't behind him. I'm going to be honest with you. I get more nervous when there aren't a lot of people in front of me. So y'all be praying for me today because I really am. I even woke up this morning nervous as can be. Uh, me and Jennifer accidentally dressed alike. We did not do that on purpose. We do not plan stuff like that. Um, it's funny, I walked upstairs, I looked at her outfit, she looked at mine, and I want to tell you what a good wife I have. I was, I, I was just touched by, she looked at me, instead of saying, do you want to change, she looked at me and said, do you want me to change? And I'm like, no honey, it's okay, you keep it on. You make you purple look better than I do anyway. Listen, next week we're going to be doing communion. Um, I walked out to the fellowship hall a while ago and I seen uh, all the communion stuff laid out and I look forward to partaking in communion. I got a little bit worried because um, Brian's got a big bottle of hand sanitizer next to the communion thing, so I don't know what he's going to be putting in the communion cups, but uh, you might want to come, it might get exciting. We don't know what will happen. But one thing I do also want to make reminder of is about our live streaming. For all of you who are online right now, we are so thankful that you are online with us. But we want to encourage you to come be a part of what we're doing here. Um, as of the 17th of April, we will no longer be live streaming. We will be recording, we will be editing it, and we will be putting it online on our YouTube channel at six o'clock, had to make sure I got my time right, at six o'clock on Sunday evening. So again, we just want to give everybody a little bit of an update about what's going on with that. But again, we want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here. We are so thankful that you have been faithful to join us online. Now I'm asking you to take a step forward and come join us and be a part of what we're doing here. We would love to see your faces. Um, you may not like to see ours. I probably look better on TV. I don't know. Jennifer, do you think I look better on TV than in person? <laughs> she turned her head. I'm not sure what to think about that. But regardless, we want to encourage you to be a part of us. Um, guys, I want to encourage you to be praying for all those who are traveling this week and will be traveling throughout the week. Um, know what it's like to get, a, get away for a little bit. Thankful for that, that they've got that opportunity. But I'm also thankful that you chose this morning to be here. Because this morning we're going to be talking about a pretty hard subject. This week we're going to be talking about truth. In the scripture that I'm going to be reading in John chapter 18, a question is proposed to Jesus. The question is, what is truth? And I'm going to be honest with you. This has to be one of the best questions that I have ever heard before in my life. Because it's something that I have often wondered. What is truth? And in today's times, it's even harder to know what truth is, especially if you look up the definition of truth, you will find so many different versions of truth. You have subjective truth, truth that is based off of opinion, truth that is based off of influ outside influences, and truth that is based on feelings. This is something that we all battle. You have normative truth. Normative truth is truth that is based on cultural context. And different cultures have different ways of life, which brings about different truths. You don't understand that. Just look at the difference between people from the north and people from the south. 
It's a big cultural context. What's normative to them up there is not normative to us down here. And speaking of not normative, there is snow in the forecast for Saturday. I am praying you better break out your flannel. I heard some of you grudging. But not only is there normative truth, there is also objective truth. Objective truth is absolute truth. This is truth that can or will be proven and tested in some way, shape, or form. With all these truths out there, it makes it hard for us to understand what is real. Last night, I was giving Jennifer a little a snippet of what the sermon was, and I thought she was going to be more encouraging than what she was. She just looked at me and said, you're using some awful big words, aren't you? And <laughs> She's just praying that my vocabulary doesn't outdo my academia and make me look like a fool, and I know she's worried about me, and I thank you for that, Jennifer. But these are some big words. These are some big words that hold a lot of context to especially today's time. We've all heard these words. If you watch news for more than five minutes, you're going to hear normative truth, subjective truth, and objective truth. And today, we're going to take some time to look and search out what these truths really mean. And the way we're going to do this may put a little, a couple of you in a little bit of an uncomfortable position. Because what we're going to do today is we're going to put Jesus on trial. Now, I know for some of you, you're sitting there thinking, who am I to judge Jesus? And I'm going to be honest with you. I had that same thought when I wrote this statement down, that we are going to put Jesus on trial. Who am I to judge Jesus? But I want you to remember this, that judgment is nothing more than a decision. It is a decision made on the facts that we have at hand. And with that being said, you've got to realize this. Every day we judge Jesus. Every day we judge whether we're going to follow him or we're not. Every day we judge whether we're going to depend on him or we're going to depend on our own selves. We judge whether we're going to depend on his wisdom like we've been talking about in Sunday school or our own understanding. So to kind of ease things a little bit, I want you to realize this. You judge Jesus every day. I do the same thing. But the way we judge Jesus is what really matters. The one judgment that we're going to make on Jesus today is one simple statement. Is Jesus king? Is Jesus king? Is Jesus king of your opinion? Is Jesus king of your assumptions? Is Jesus king of your culture? And most importantly, is Jesus king of your life? Let's give a definition to what king is. A king is an absolute authority, an absolute ruler who has control over everything that is his. A king is an absolute authority, an absolute ruler who has control over everything that is his. So with that statement being made, let me ask you the question again. Is Jesus king? Because when you put it in that context, 
that brings more weight on us than it really does on him. It brings more weight on the truths that we have about him than about who he really is. And in John chapter 18, we see the trial that Jesus went, uh, underwent from Pontius Pilate. And today I want to point out a lot of these truths, a lot of these truths that I talked to you about. The subjective truth, the truth of opinion, feeling, and influence. To normative truth, the truth of culture, and the truth of the way people are. But I also want to point you to the objective truth of who Jesus is says that he is. Now we're going to be reading a lot because this goes from one chapter into the next. Again, I don't understand why they numbered some of these chapters the way they did, but starting in chapter 18, John chapter 18, starting in verse 28, this is what it says. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas's house to the... Already having problems. The Praetorium. And it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the Praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might be able to eat of the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? I want you to underline that. Then they answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Again, underline that. So Pilate said to them, take him for yourself and judge him according to your laws. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which was spoken, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered again to the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation, the chief priest, delivered you to me. What? Have you done? And he answered, This is Jesus. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release the king to you, for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again saying, no, not this man, but Barabbas, for Barabbas was a robber. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. 
And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. So when the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, do, <clears throat> you, do, <clears throat> you do not speak to me. You do not speak to me, sorry. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus then answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you <clears throat> has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the church Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus and set him down on the judgment seat and call, a judgment seat called the place, sorry, a place called the pavement by the Hebrews. Now is the day of preparation for Passover. And it was about the sixth hour. So it was about 12 o'clock, guys. It is the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I, crucify my king? Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Pray with me. Father, this morning, I know many of us have things going on in our life that are preoccupying our hearts and our minds and that are keeping us from focusing on the truth of what your word has for us this morning. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us all to put all those things aside just for a few minutes so we can focus on not only what Jesus went through here for us, but so that we can focus on that question, is Jesus King? Father, my heart is deeply troubled. My heart is deeply troubled by my own life. Because there have been many days that I have proclaimed Jesus is king, but there are so many days that my life does not look like he has authority over me. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us all to examine ourselves wholly, to see any wickedness that is in us 
that we would repent of it, but that also, Lord, we would be able to give a definite answer today that Jesus is King. Father, give us, a, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us a heart to understand what your word has for us this morning, Lord. And thank you again just for the opportunity to be here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In that scripture, it told us specifically that this was about the sixth hour, which means about 12 o'clock in the day. And the reason I want you to know this is because Pilate had Jesus brought to him sometime around six to eight o'clock. So what that means is Pilate had about four to six hours to make a judgment on Jesus. And the reason I want to say this is because I believe a lot of people give Pilate a very bad reputation. Because I know people today who are still trying to make a judgment about Jesus. Pilate had six hours. Most of us have had our whole life. So what keeps us from making a judgment on who Jesus is? The first, the first thing I want you to see is I want you to see the subjective truth of Jesus's trial. In times of late, we have seen a lot of sham cases. You know what a sham case is? A sham case is a case that is brought before a judicial hearing or before a court that is based on a lot of theories, that is based on a lot of lies, that is based on a lot of assumptions and opinions. And one examples of, the, one examples of this that we have seen or some have seen were the kangaroo courts that took place in Nazi Germany. People were brought before these kangaroo courts called the people courts and were put on trial with nothing like what we have today. They had no due process whatsoever. They were not innocent until proven guilty. They were guilty until proven innocent. This is the same way that Jesus is brought before Pilate. These type of courts valued opinions, assumptions, and ideologies over facts. We also see another sham case that happens a lot today. Today it's called trial by media. It's just another example of one way that we put a judgment out there before the evidence is ever heard. Trial by media has become a huge part of our everyday life as many of us check out the news at least once or twice a day. What amazes me is that even though most of us have never been to law school, I think there's only one person in here who's been to law school. Even though none of us have been to law school, we don't allow that to stop us from giving a verdict every day of our life, do we? No, we're quick to judge. And most of the evidence that we use is subjective as evidence. It's based on our opinions. It's based on things that we're influenced by. And it's based on our feelings. And this is the first argument, the first argument that is brought to Pilate. Jesus is brought to Pilate. Pilate's first words out of his mouth, out of his mouth was, what has this man done that is wrong? And I want you to look at it real quick. There in verse 33, 
<clears throat> Let me make sure I'm right. Sorry, I got to turn back a page. I want to give you correct. No, I'm sorry. In verse 28, 29, whatever, 30, yeah. This is what they give in 30. I meant to write them down here and I forgot. In verse 30, this is the answer they give. If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Jesus' first crime, first criminal accusation is one without a true crime. They weren't able to give any evidence whatsoever of what Jesus had done that was wrong. The reason they weren't able to do this is because the evidence that they had against Jesus was based on their opinions, how they felt about him. And this is the first argument. This is the first argument that they bring. Whenever we hear or first heard or others hear about Jesus, they're automatically making assumptions. The first week that we entered into this sermon series, we talked about one of the main reasons that Jesus came was to fill the law and the prophets. And that Jesus gets a lot of labels tagged on him that really don't belong to him. And they get tagged onto him by assumptions that we make about who Jesus is, about why Jesus came, and about what he is doing for us. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you a question. Is your relationship with Jesus Christ based on what he does for you without any return of what you do for him? And the reason I ask this is because if it's all based about what he does for you, is he really king? Because a king has servants. We'll get into that here in a minute. And these servants do what? The king's will. So if our relationship with Jesus Christ is nothing more than what he does for us and nothing about what we do for him, it's a subjective relationship that is based on our feelings and opinions of who he is. This was the same feelings that the Pharisees had about Jesus. They weren't worried about what he, or about what he had come to do. They were worried about what they perceived of him. They didn't think that their king would eat with sinners, talk with prostitutes, and even have a tax collector as a friend. This went against everything that they thought was culturally right. This went against their opinions because people of a kingly status would have nothing to do with people of such horrible reputation. They also didn't think that he looked the part. When you think of a king, what do you think of? You think of a crown, right? You think of a man of stature. You think of a man that's very good looking. Yet Isaiah tells us that there was none of this about Jesus, that anybody would even esteem him. They didn't even think he looked like a king. And really, he didn't. Even in his own hometown of Nazareth, Jesus was rejected. They would say things like, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter? 
How is it that he has come to be king? We remember when he was born. We've seen him grow up from a little king, a little kid. And there is nothing kingly about him. Again, this is subjective. We're going by how people looks, how people look. Another thing that he did is Jesus was destroying everything that the Jews had built. Now, I'm not talking about getting out a sledgehammer and tearing down the temple. But at the same time, Jesus was breaking down a lot of their religious practices that were nothing more than do's and don'ts. He was breaking all these things that they thought made them right with God down to the point that they were starting to see the uselessness, uselessness in their own practices. He drove out the traders and the salesmen in the temple. This hurt the temple. This hurt the temple. Why? Because the temple would get a percentage of what was sold. This hurt the temple. How could he be doing something like this? This is where our income comes from. Not only did he do that, but he drew crowds. He drew large crowds to them that would normally be drawn by them. We see this in church a lot today. We get mad when somebody goes to another church, don't we? Don't we? Let's just be real. Somebody feels led to go to another church. We get a little bit defensive. They're mine. They're mine. They belong to me. They belong to Jesus, okay? They belong to Jesus. And if it's a Bible-believing church that teaches the truth, that preaches the truth, should we really be that upset over it? No. But again, that is another opinion that we have. It's an assumption. And this is the first case that is brought to Pilate on behalf of the Jews. Subjective truth is often a matter of jealousy. And it has nothing to do with fact. And one thing that I've learned, especially in my own mind, in my own life, is that when my emotions run high, my opinions reach low. When my emotions run high, my opinions of people reach extremely low. Jesus has been living his life in front of all of these people. He's performed miracles. Miracles of giving the blind sight. Miracles of turning water to wine. Miracles of raising the dead to life. He has proved his deity. He has proved that he has the knowledge of the word. He has proved that he lives the word. Yet, they reach low in their opinions. And try to show the world that Jesus isn't who he says he is. Our opinions of Jesus matter. How we view Jesus on a daily basis will reflect how we live our life for him. But it all comes down to one question. Is he king? Is Jesus king? We go from the 
subjective truth that is presented to put Jesus on trial to the normative truth. Normative truth is like I said at the beginning. It is a concept that applies to a certain group of people. I made a cute little analogy there. It's like people from the north and from the south. Completely different. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No, they're completely different. If we go to the north and we try to live our life like we live our life here, what do they say about us? We're stupid. Yeah, you must be from the south. You ain't educated, are you, boy? But if they come down here and live their life like they're used to living it up there, what do we say about them? You ain't from around here. So let me ask you a question. Who's right? Easy now. Pride comes before the fall. And that's a long fall. Who's right? That's where normative truth comes in. There's lots of normative truths that we deal with on a daily basis. And we use these normative truths to base our case for what we're trying to present. Both sides present truth. But both sides are neither wrong. But normative truth will never uphold in a court of law. A court of law goes by what? The law. Not subjective truth and definitely not normative truth. I've got a little picture downstairs, Misty and Tommy and them, they've all seen it multiple times. But it's of two people in an argument. And the argument is simple. The two people are facing each other. I wish I'd put a picture up here of it. The two people are facing each other. From right where I'm standing, the individual sees a six drawn on the ground. And he's sitting there screaming, six, six. I'm not going to say it again because y'all think I'm satanic. But if you switch to the other side, the individual that has the same letter in front of him doesn't see a six. He sees a what? A nine. And he's sitting there screaming, nine, nine, nine. Who's right? Do y'all realize, amen, brother. Do y'all realize this is what most of our arguments look like on a daily basis? Most of the arguments that we have with our family, it's what it looks like. One screaming of you from one side of the story, another screaming of you from another side of the story. Neither one is right and neither one is wrong. But the Jews do their best to use this to plead a normative case about Jesus. In John 19, verse 7, they state this. By our law, we, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. Now, I want to just reference the law that he, they're quoting here. The law that they're quoting here comes from Leviticus chapter 20, 16, verse 24. And the law that they're quoting here talks about the blaspheming of the name of God. Did Jesus ever blaspheme the name of God? Did he? 
Well, their argument is that he calls himself the son of God, so that is blasphemy. So let me ask you this. Since I'm an adopted child through the blood of Jesus Christ, and in a way I have become a son of God, does that mean I'm blaspheming? No. But they tried to use their own law their own law and twisted it to the point that it would bring a normative case to them. Well, this wasn't good enough for Pilate. So look what they do then. You go on down a couple of verses and they say to Pilate, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. So they use two laws. Two laws from two totally different cultures to make evidence against Jesus. We use these same standards on a daily basis. We judge people on the culture that they were grown up in. I don't understand why it is that people think that if somebody comes from Appalachia that they're an uneducated person. Some of the smartest people I know and I mean it. Some of the smartest people I know never attended a college. Some of the smartest people I know, the wisest people I know, don't have a PhD. And some of the wisest people I know come from a very, very humble beginning. But why do we base off of our culture? And you know, we need to be very careful about this, especially with Blairsville's growth the way it is. I'm tired of this, they ain't from here mentality. I really am. Because if you really want to look at it, go deep down in your lineage, you ain't from here either. I ain't from here. Yeah, there's a part of my ancestry that's Indian, but most of mine are Scottish and French. I ain't from here either. But we allow these cultural differences to drive a wedge into what Jesus united together. You know, I often look at our congregation and I think it's one of the most beautiful interpretations of heaven. Because I see people from every ethnicity. Almost every ethnicity. I see people from the east coast to the west coast, from the north to the south. I see people from different countries. And I'm often reminded, this is what heaven's going to look like. Because heaven is not based on your culture. It's based on who's your king. Which brings me back to that question. Is Jesus king? This brings me to the objective truth of Jesus' trial. Just once again, just to state what objective truth is, because my wife said I was using big words and I want to be sure that I don't underdo it. Objective truth is absolute truth. It is truth that can be tested and in the end will always be proven to be fact. This truth is like the truth that the sun rose this morning. Can anybody argue that? No, it rose this morning. And it will set this afternoon. Can anybody argue that? No, it's a fact. It happens. 
It's the truth like we talked about in Sunday school, about how the wonderful concept of how God created our earth to rotate on a 22 degree axis allows us to have fall, winter, in the North Georgia mountains, winter again, then spring, then summer, then false fall, then summer again, then hell's front porch. We went through all of them. But that's the beauty of how God created this. And nobody argues this, that because of the way the earth was formed, they just got a question of who formed it. But because of the way the earth is formed, it allows us to have all four of these seasons all over the earth. It allows us to stay put. Any other planet, guys, any other planet, if I were to do this, I would set sailing. I would set sailing and I wouldn't stop. That's the beauty of the concept of how he created this. And it is objective truth. Nobody is going to argue this. And what Jesus points to Pilate points to nothing but objective truth. And I want us to go back and I want us to look at Jesus' conversation with Pilate. Verse 33. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Stop. Where did he hear this from? Any of you ever thought about that? Did they come to Pilate with Jesus saying, this man says he's the king of the Jews? Is that what they said? No. No. They didn't say that at all. Matter of fact, all they said is, if this man had not done some evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. But they did not give any clarity about the statements that he was making. They didn't give any clarity to the fact that Jesus was proclaiming to be a king. They just point, he just point blank asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Sometimes I wonder if Pilate may have had something going on in here. And Jesus even goes on to ask him, Look at what Jesus asked him in verse 34. Then Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did some others tell you about me? Now, let's be real. Jerusalem, while it is a big city, it's not that big. And undoubtedly, I'm sure Pilate had heard about the things that Jesus had done. I'm sure that Pilate had heard about Jesus proving his knowledge of God's word and of God to the, to the Pharisees by his teaching and his preaching in the temple. I'm sure Pilate had heard that he had proven his character and how he was non-biased towards Jew and Gentile and how this character was always consistent. He never went to one side or the other. I'm sure that he had even heard about how Jesus had proved his loyalty to God. A lot of people question about, well, how is it that he can call himself king? Do you know how a king was appointed in the first days? At first, it was appointed by God. Go back and read Samuel. But later on after that, how was a king appointed? 
lineage. It was handed down to your son. Obedient sons who were obedient to the king were handed down the lineage. And a lot of people say, well, this was the firstborn. Not always. It was not always the firstborn. It was the one who was obedient. So wrap your mind around this. Jesus is crowned king by who? By us? No. We wanted another king. He is crowned king by his father. And he is crowned king because he is obedient and loyal to his father. Sure, Pilate had heard about his loyalty to God. I'm sure Pilate had heard about him proving his deity. And by meaning deity, I'm talking about that he had to be someone who come from God. Have any of you raised anybody from the dead? I have put a couple of sleeping sermons. I really have. But I have yet to raise anybody from the dead. Have any of you ever turned water to wine? No. Have any of you ever healed somebody? No. Stuff like this happens, people start talking. People start talking. So yes, he had heard about who Jesus was. But at the same time, where did the whole king thing come from? Man's got to ask. A man's got to ask, and I'll be honest with you. I don't have an answer, but I really do. I think something was going on in here with Pilate, and I'm going to go off of what he says next. Pilate answered him in verse 35 and said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Anything that Jesus said, did that seem pushy to you? Are you telling me this on your own initiative? Or did someone else tell you? Did anything of that sound pushy? Because this response sounds like somebody who was pushed. I'm not a Jew, am I? You remember when Jesus started speaking to you? You remember that conviction that came to your heart? But do you remember that automatic defense? Oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad of a person. I've been to church all my life. My mama drugged me there. I had a drug problem before I had a drug problem. She literally drugged me to church. She used to get mad at me because we had these old wooden pews. And I'm not talking about pews like this. We had old wooden pews and I would take my matchbox car and I would roll it down those cars, right down that pew. And it would make this loud roar. And any of y'all ever got that look? You know what happens after that look when you get home? It's never a pleasant thing. But my mom raised me in church. I'm not that bad of a person. But when Jesus is dealing with our hearts, we will throw every defense we can at him to say, no, you don't understand, Jesus. I'm not that person. I'm trying not to read into the scripture here. But something's going on here with Pilate. Something deep is going on here with Pilate. Pilate had already been warned by his wife to have nothing to do with this trial. 
Pilate had already been warned by his wife that there is something special about this man. And you know, I really can't say, but I believe from what I read, just from what I read here, that Pilate was having a severe conviction issue. He goes on to say, your own nation and chief priest delivered you over to me. What have you done? What have you done? And then Jesus replies, my kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I may not be handed over to the who? Don't miss this. Because a lot of people, did Jesus come for the Jews first? Yes. But did he come for only the Jews? No. No. And Jesus responded this to a Gentile. Jesus gave this response to a Gentile. And then he goes on to say, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. What were the Jews expecting? Think about that for a minute. What were the Jews expecting? The Jews were expecting somebody to come in. A king. A king who looked the part. A king who acted the part that they thought he should act. A king who would come in, who would free them from the Roman Empire so they wouldn't have to stand under people like Pontius Pilate. They thought Jesus or the Messiah or the king, whoever it was going to be, was going to come in, was going to wage a war, was going to beat down Rome, and they would be free forever. And a lot of people get that same concept today about Jesus. That Jesus is coming in, he's going to reign in my life, and he's going to make the things that I want happen, happen. But this is not where Jesus' king, this is not where Jesus's kingdom lies. His kingdom is far greater than this world. His kingdom is far greater than Union County. His kingdom is far greater than Georgia. His kingdom is far greater than the United States, and some of you really need to hear me on that. Jesus's kingdom is more than we can ever expect. And when we get there, I'm going to promise you this. It's going to blow our mind. Therefore, Pilate said to him in verse 37, so you are a king. Hmm. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into this world to testify to the truth. And everyone who hears the truth, or everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Jesus makes a profound statement there. I am king. I am king. Did Pilate know what he is talking about? Absolutely not. 
But there's many of us who don't know what he's talking about either. Because like I said a while ago, a king has servants and servants are loyal to their king. His orders are followed. His commands are obeyed. And many will tell me to this day, many will tell me to this day that Jesus is my savior. But I don't hear many people saying that Jesus is my king. And this is important. This is important. Jesus, or Jerry, sorry, Jerry, I called you Jesus. Forgive me. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that one. Y'all notice Mary didn't amen? Did y'all notice that? I noticed it. But this goes back to this whole thing of what we're talking about, of why Jesus really came. He came to be truth. And a lot of us think that truth is a concept or that truth is a theory or that truth is an ideology. Brothers and sisters, truth is a man by the name of Jesus who came to this earth to show us what true truth was. Not subjective truth, because it wasn't anything about his opinions. Not normative truth, because it didn't just hold to the Jewish culture. Objective truth, truth that will in one day be revealed to all. And brothers and sisters, I'm gonna tell you something. And even for those who may not know Jesus as savior, as king, if God tarries and he comes back, there will be a day that everyone will fall on their knees and proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that he is the king. And guys, listen to me. When this happens, I don't want you to fear this. I'm not gonna be there or nobody else is gonna be there hitting you, saying, told you so. Because we're not going to have to tell nobody nothing. Because when he appears, nobody will be able to deny that Jesus is king. So what about you? Is Jesus your king? You know, we use terms in church that I'm very careful about using we use a term like, I believe. And I want you to understand something. Because of our English language, the term belief, from what it come from, from the Greek and Hebrew, has a completely different meaning. Because a belief can be flawed. Have any of you ever been flawed about a belief? I believe the Green Bay Packers were going to the Super Bowl this year. I was wrong. I believed Georgia was going to choke twice, twice in some sporting event this year. Guess what? Both accounts, Georgia Bulldogs and the Braves. I was wrong. I was wrong. I believed these things. But belief is often flawed. Because believing is not knowing. 
Knowing is a totally different thing from believing. And I'm asking you this morning, I'm not asking you to say, do you believe Jesus is king? I'm asking you one simple question. Do you know that Jesus is king? You say, Scotty, how do I know that? Well, do you know that your sin separated you from God? Do you know that? I don't believe that. I know that in my life. My sin separated me from God. God didn't separate himself from me. I separated myself from him. Do you know that God's wrath will be poured out on all who are guilty of sinning against him? I don't believe that will happen. I know that will happen. Do you believe? No, sorry. Do you know that Jesus had that same wrath poured out on him at the cross? See, that's not something that I just believe. That's something I know. Do you know that Jesus died for you? Again, I don't believe he died for me. I know he died for me. Do you know that Jesus victoriously rose from the grave? Again, that's not something I believe. That's something I know happened. Which brings me to this last question. You know what he saved you from. But just like Jerry said earlier, last month, do you know what he saved you for? Do you know that Jesus is your king? Because if he is our king, that means I'm no longer in control of my opinions. I'm no longer in control of what I do. I'm no longer control in my understanding. If Jesus is my king, I am every day dependent on him for everything. Is Jesus your king? Father, like I said earlier, and just to be honest, it's something I need to confess daily. I've made the statement many times that you are my king, but my life looks nothing like I'm living for you. And this morning, Lord, each of us are putting Jesus on trial. And we have to judge for ourselves who we say Jesus is. And this morning, Lord, with a repentant heart, I beg, Lord, for your forgiveness because he is my king. And I still struggle with disobedience. I still struggle, Lord, with my own opinions. I still struggle with my own thoughts, ideologies. 
And Father, I pray that you would help me to surrender more to you. You came, Lord, and squashed subjective truth. You came and you annihilated normative truth. And you came and told us your message of love so that we could spread it to others. This morning, Lord, help us all to be obedient servants to your service. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.